the youth run out and all there was just all boys running by. So there's the future speakers. There they are. Are they signed up for the hermeneutics uh, course this winter? Start them early. This should just pop. It might just pop up because it did last time. There it is. Okay. Um, I'm going to start off with a, with, a, with a personal story. I don't normally do this, but uh, um, this here, this is Deepwater Church in Halifax, and my daughter Jamie and I were there last Sunday, and it was a wonderful experience, so I contacted them yesterday and asked them permission to use these pictures and logos and share the story with you, and they were more than willing, happy to give me permission to do so. So, uh, as you know, our daughter Jamie's in Halifax, uh, going to school, so when we were there, Jamie wants to look for a new church to go to, and she did her homework, and she said, Dad, this one looks like something I want to go to. So I looked on the website, and it looks like a very young church, it looked very, very good, they had a lot of um, ministries, three services, so three services on a Sunday, so it was a pretty big church, so we went, and um, as we walked in, it was pretty packed, and somebody came and ushered us to a seat. But as, as I was looking around and looking, thinking, everybody's in like t-shirts and shorts and sandals and what kind of church is this? And, and you know, more observation and I didn't see one Bible in a person's hand. Everybody had coffee though. It's true. Everybody had coffee, t-shirts, very laid back. And so the band was playing. It's that very, um, modern Christian music. That uh, you know, uh, one of the praise bands here plays all the time. It's not my favorite type of music. I love the words. Just the music's not something I'd listen to. So I'm more grumbling under my breath. And the drummer was fantastic. Dave, you would love them. Watching the PowerPoint and the drummer with the other eye, and he's good. But so, but I could feel myself kind of grumbling as the service went on. And then the speaker came up, Pastor Megan Swan. I said, Oh, this is a different female pastor. I've never seen this before. And she started off uh, her message with a coffee shop story. Imagine that, saying that, you know, coffee and chocolate and cinnamon are the other trinity. But her story was about a conversation. <laughs> uh, her, she started off talking about the conversation she had with somebody at the coffee shop, and they were talking about church. And then in the background, she could hear somebody say, I've tried church once, and I'll never go back again. So her talk was about... Um, you know, why? why? Why do people have this attitude towards God and towards church? And um, so she, she, she continued speaking, and I'm thinking, there's no Bible reference, nothing. But then she said, I, I want to, you know, elaborate on my message by talking about a, um, a worship leader. And she, and she said, his name is Asaph, and he wrote Psalm 73. So, oh, okay, scripture. And then there it was. <laughs> Cell phones, everybody, poo-poo, everybody had a Bible. You know, and you know, but that's, and then I started getting this heavy feeling upon myself. And tears started (laughs) swelling in my eyes because I realized that my attitude towards these Christians really stank, that I was wrong. That I, that I was wrong in my judgment. Ju- judgment. And um, Pastor Megan kept on 
she went through Psalm 73, and she came to this verse, and this is the verse that killed me. It said, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood. And it was like a punch to the gut, and I realized, here I am, I'm in the sanctuary of God, right? God's temple in the midst of his people. And all I could do is, you know, point at the specks in people's eyes. And here I am with this plank in my own eye. Poor person in front of me just would have been getting the hits. <laughs> but, but as the pastor ex- just kept expounding on this, this the paint, plank just dropped from my eye, and I realized that, uh, yeah, my attitude was wrong. It's hypocritical, right? That's what Jesus calls it. In, in his message in, in Matthew 7, talks about, you know, um, discerning, you know, Why do you look the speck and sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all this time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, Wally. First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And there was no speck in these brothers and sisters' eyes. It was just my own um, sinfulness, my own hypocrisy, my own... Attitude, And I was uh, as crushed as I was, as embarrassed as I was, repentant as I was, I was very grateful for that experience because it, it helped me actually live actually what I want to preach today. About what, what Mary, these, these uh, accounts of what Mary and Martha are all about. It's all about attitude. About our attitude as Christians towards other Christians. About our attitude towards the Word of God. About our attitude towards Jesus. And about our attitude toward God and his eternal story. Um, so I'm going to pray and we'll get into Mary and Martha. So Heavenly Father, we thank you just for the revelation of yourself through these, uh, these men and women of old, Lord Father, who've brought to us the Old Testament. And thank you for um, the Lord Jesus, the revelation of the true God in heaven through him and in him, who, we, who is the true uh, revelation of the Lord God, and thank you for these uh, wonderful disciples and uh, men who have brought forth the New Testament, Lord Father, that we may know the new covenant in the blood of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So we're not told too much about Mary and Martha, as, uh, as it is with many of the characters that we're studying. Um, we know that they're sisters. They have a brother named Lazarus. They're from Bethany, which is two, about two miles from Jerusalem, which is very significant, and uh, hopefully I have time to get into that later. There's no spouses mentioned, whether uh, they're widows or not, or whether they had husbands and they're just not mentioned, or we don't really know. They're potentially wealthy, perhaps, because this flask of oil that uh, Spike Nard, that Mary anoints Jesus with, they say it's worth like a year's worth of wages, and in our time that'd be about $10,000. So it's very expensive oil. So where Mary got it from, whether it was hers, whether she purchased it, or we don't really know, but potentially they were a wealthy, wealthy family. And we know that Martha had a home, and that's what leads us to our first passage about them. So as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. 
Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worth, I should say that better. Martha, Martha, the Lord you answered, uh, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen uh, what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So we see, if we, if, so if you were to apply the, the, the speck and the plank illustration to this, we see that uh, the speck that Martha sees in Mary's eye is that uh, Mary is apparently unwilling to help her with all the preparations. Right? We, we, we could picture this scenario, Jesus, and perhaps, perhaps it's just the 12. We don't know. Maybe there's more disciples in, in Martha's home. And Martha's doing all the running around. We can all, you're right, we can all sympathize with her, right? We've all pretty well been in this situation. You're doing all the work and, the, you know, you're, whether it's your spouse or your kids or someone who was there who you would depend on to help you. They're not helping you. They're socializing with everyone else, right? And, you know, right? And it's upsetting. You can, oh, the, the, Peggy's laughing. She knows all about <laughs> But, um, right, we all sympathize. And, and, and it builds anxiety, right? And it builds anger. And, and, um, and ill feelings. It builds attitude. There's Mary's attitude. She has left me alone to serve. And, she, and then Mary's, uh, uh, sorry, Martha's attitude to Jesus. Lord, don't you care? Tell her to help me. So she's worried and upset. She's anxious. And the Lord indicates she's growing angry. Proverbs 15, Proverbs 15 18 says, A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. And we can see this is about to happen. If Jesus hadn't stepped in, right? We could picture we could picture the scene as I said, and we know that it's, it wasn't really expected of a woman to be sitting there with the men, right? It, was, it would have been expected of Mary to be helping Martha, and so we could maybe picture the thoughts of the other men who were there, right? With Mary sitting there, like, what's she doing here? She really should be helping Martha. So when Martha brings this up, you could you could see the potential for for the men actually. Speaking up, speaking uh, up also. Yes, yes, Mary, you should be helping Martha, right? This is expected. That is your place kind of thing. It's, it's the time and age in that culture, right? So conflict, co- potential for conflict to increase. And you see, perhaps Mary was about to retaliate too, and there would have been an argument between the two sisters. So a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. But the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Our ever-patient savior coming in to calm the quarrel. Martha, Martha, the Lord answers, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one thing. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. And then it ends there. And we're like, so what happened next? What was Martha's response? Was it like, oh, really? So then she sat down too. So, you know, you 12 boys hungry, you know where the kitchen is, right? Serve yourself. Thomas, don't you be doubting that I'm doing this kind of thing, right? But Luke doesn't give us Martha's response. Because Luke's intention of giving us this passage is not so that we would know Martha's response to Jesus' rebuke, but so that we would know um, Jesus' rebuke to Martha's attitude. One thing, Jesus said, Mary has chosen the better. One thing. My brother Phil actually quoted this at the, the morning service. One thing I ask from the Lord, this one thing I do seek. 
Here's the better. Here's the, um, the eternal. Right? That's one of the other lessons here. It's for us to be able to discern between the eternal and the temporal things in life. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of our Lord and to seek him in his temple. Here's an interesting verse. When the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the seekers of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you. Not to them who have rejected Jesus. Whoever has been, whoever has, I'm sorry, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, what they have will be taken away. So Jesus is telling Martha, I understand you're, you're upset, I understand your anxiety, I understand you are working diligently to serve me. But you need to understand when there are, there's a, uh, when the temporal and the eternal things come into play, that there's a time to make the choice for the eternal things. Working for the Lord is eternal value, absolutely. The word of God, the knowledge of the secret of the kingdom, coming into the Lord's presence, is far more important than these other things. And they will not be taken away. So the second account we have of Mary and Martha, or not the second, but another account, um, comes at the, the anointing of Jesus. And I've, um, I've taken verses from other Gospels and kind of combined them here. So, so six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Jesus uh, lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining. There's an interesting verse. Martha, Martha served while Lazarus was among them climbing with them. And then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. So here, so here we see, this might give some indication about the last one. Here's Martha serving again. And here's Mary, again, not helping, helping Martha. Martha's not disputing this time. So Mary took about a... Uh, a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. When the disciples saw this, they were very uh, indignant. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, objected why, was, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because... Uh, he was a thief, and as the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Leave her alone. Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will, have, uh, the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them at any time you want to. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. It was intended that she should have uh, saved this perfume for the day of my burial. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for uh, my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of me. Now, this is a huge passage. Um, there's so many things you could say on this. Attitude. Again, it all comes down to attitude. The grumbling antagonists. 
right? All the disciples were involved, but Jesus tells us that, that Judas perhaps was the one who instigated the whole grumbling, the antagonism, right? And it probably it may not have been uh, hard for Judas to do this because of the last event with Mary. Perhaps the, the disciples had this in mind. Now there's Mary again, you know, not being conforming to the place where women should be. And, and um, so like you see Judas playing on this, playing on the, 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 perhaps on, on the disciples to try to get them on his side to grumble, to complain about Mary, uh, about the waste. And he uses the argument about, about, right, uh, about using the money for the poor. But as we know, that uh, Judas didn't care about the poor. But it sounded like a sound argument. Why the waste? You will not always have me. Hmm. So why the waste? It could have been used to, to help the poor. And it was, it was a sound argument because the law actually gives um, guidelines for that, right? In, um, do I have it here? No, I don't. In Deuteronomy 15, right, the, the, the Lord says, You always have poor in your land, but do not be tight-fisted to the poor. If you have, be sure to give um, what, you, what you have. Um, do, not, uh, do not neglect them. But Jesus' response is very interesting. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this person for the day of my burial, the poor you have with you always, and you can help them at any time you want to, but you will not always have me. I had a conversation with a person once who was a Christian, and now they're um, atheists. They don't believe. And they say one of the things that turned them off about the Bible, about God, is that God seemed very, very egocentric. It was always about him. There's poor suffering. There's just so much uh, suffering going on in the world, and all God cares about is his own glory. That was her her attitude towards the Bible. So how do, how, how do, how do we explain Jesus' um, his response here? How, how do we try to justify this? Because it, kind of, it seems kind of con- contradictory, isn't it, to Jesus' teaching, right? The Beatitudes, poor in spirit, meek, merciful, right? Give to those who are in need and whatnot. So how, how do we justify this? On Psalm 73, 16, um, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood. In this Psalm 73, what Asaph is complaining about is he's complaining about how the wicked in Israel are prospering. Right? The prospering off the backs of the innocent and the poor and whatnot. And Asaph is trying to understand this. And it's troubling him. He says, until I entered into your sanctuary, then I understood who God was in God's plan. So, what, um, how Pastor Megan explained this was that Asaph had his own understanding of who God was. He knew the scriptures. He understood them. But he had developed his own understanding, his own perception of who God was. And he allowed this to... Um, control what he thought about God. And it did not help him to understand what was going on in the world, or in Israel around him. 
So it wasn't until he actually came into the presence of God that he understood God's story, God's eternal story. That for Asaph, the answer was that God will one day judge the wicked. But God's graceful, and, there are, and God's um, grace goes out to the wicked also. God's grace is upon them. The days are extended so that they too may have the opportunity to repent. Right? God's riches leads, you to re- leads us to repentance. So in the same way, we get, um, in the same way, we can use this to help us understand why Jesus would put himself before others. Because when we enter into the presence of God, we start to understand who Jesus is. If we try to define Jesus on just our own attitudes, our own perspectives of Jesus, things like this are troubling. But when we start to understand God's big story, when we try to under, when we try to we see that not only is Jesus part of God's story, but that Jesus is God's story, our perspective on, on things like this tend to change. So what is God's story that involves Jesus? We find it in Isaiah 53, don't we? Brothers and sisters, listen to God's story. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought him peace was upon him. By his, by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned our, to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who in this generation, uh, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be, uh, the, the light of life and be satisfied. By the knowledge of my rich, righteous servant will justify uh, many, and he will bear the iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he has poured out his life unto death. And was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore our sin, he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. God's story. God's story is Jesus. God's redemptive story is Jesus. And Jesus should come before absolutely everything in our lives. And I'm not sure if Mary truly understands the full extension of this when she anointed Jesus. But I think her actions kind of betrayed a few things. I think she understood that when Jesus was in her presence, that God was in her presence. 
as her sister Mary would have confessed not long before that, that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. I think she understood that Jesus was God's story, his eternal story. And I think Mary somewhat understood that in a few days when Jesus was going to enter Jerusalem, that he wasn't coming back out. I really think Mary had an understanding of that. So Mary acted on what she understood. And like the Roman centurion, her faith was unmatched by anyone else around her. The disciples, however, they acted on their lack of understanding. But it's all about attitude. It's all about perspective. Our attitude and perspective to other Christians, to Jesus, to God, and to God's story. So we see here in this story that where the the disciples saw waste, Jesus saw beauty. Where the disciples saw neglect, Jesus saw providence. Where Where the disciples saw unnecessary extravagance, Jesus saw significant application. So we can say that the plank in the disciples' eye was seriously excessive. We can say that their attitude towards Mary was flawed. And, their, and that their understanding of who Jesus is and was and the significance of his uh, approaching death, that their understanding of it was seriously deficient. And it's a lesson we can learn for ourselves. When we see people um, sacrificing very precious things in their lives just to glorify God, whether it's money uh, possessions, whether it's their time, precious time. Why do you spend so much doing so much with the church or for God and why not? It's such a waste. But the eternal view in God's story, it's a beautiful thing. So I don't have time to get into John, John 11. Um, on the BFA website, if you scroll back to, I think it's like October 2015, uh, Brother Phil Donaldson and... Um, Sean Lee have sermons there on, on uh, John chapter 11, on the raising of Lazarus. So I encourage you to, to go to that. It's, it's not, I don't think it's on the podcast. I don't think the podcast go back that far, but it's on the website. So what I want to close with this, I was talking about uh, Bethany. As you see, Bethany is uh, very close to Jerusalem. I believe it has a different name now. Do you remember, Phil, what name? It's, 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 it's a long Hebrew name. But it would be like from here to the Y, going downtown South Park. That's how close Bethany is to Jerusalem. Why is that significant? Our brother Ted brought up a couple weeks ago about the um, destruction of Jerusalem that was going to be approaching um, that city because of the rejection of the Messiah, because of the hardness of their hearts, because um, of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, ye who... kills the prophets and all that God has sent for them. Because they continued to reject God, God was going to judge them within that generation. And these people were rejecting Jesus, and Jesus said there was a time where he could no longer preach in Jerusalem. But Jesus provided for the Jews in Jerusalem by preaching in places and doing miracles as he did with, at uh, uh, 
in Bethany at Mary and Martha's. So that these people would be witnesses to other people in Jerusalem. We read at, we read at the raising of Lazarus, Lazarus that many Jews came out of Jerusalem to comfort Mary and Martha. And that's very significant. Because these Jews would return to Jerusalem with this wonderful message about this prophet uh, Jesus from Nazareth who's done these wonderful things. Raised people from the dead. And these wonderful teachings that we, that we learned in these uh, other verses. So God provided for them. So that's, that, there's our personal application, brothers and sisters. We are the Mary and Marthas. Right? In Bethany. And destruction's coming. There's going to be judgment on, if you would, the Jerusalem of, of this world that has rejected God. That we are witnesses to Christ to his miracles. We have, we, we have the teachings of, of the word of God, the importance of the word of God. We have the teachings of the significance of putting Jesus first. And like Lazarus, we have seen dead people resurrected. Look at the person beside you, in front of you, behind you. Once dead. Look at yourself. Once dead. In the tomb. You stank like Lazarus. And people doubted. Jesus said, roll away the stone. And people said, no, Lord, he's already dead. There's no hope. He already stinks. But Jesus said, did I, did I not tell you if you believe you will see the glory of God? Take away the stone, Jesus said. Lazarus, come forth. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Brothers and sisters, we are the testimony of Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. And all who come to, who believe in him, though they die, they will live. And though, and because they live, they will never die. We are the Mary and the Marthas who dwell in Bethany, close to those who are under judgment. We are to be our, the witnesses to them for Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray and ask uh, the praise team to come back up with their final song. Our Lord God and Heavenly Father, we just thank you for these wonderful messages, for these wonderful lessons, Lord Father, these eternal messages that we learned about the importance of your word, of your eternal word, that if we receive them, Lord Father, they will not be taken away. Because these, this is the one thing that we seek, Lord Father, to know you, to be in your presence, to know the knowledge of the secret of the gospel, which is Christ Jesus, your eternal story. Thank you for revealing these things to us, Lord Father, and that, Lord Father, may we sacrifice precious things in our life, Lord Father, to glorify you, to anoint you as king, to anoint you as he who went to the grave and is resurrected, and that all who believe in him, too, will have um, will be resurrected from the dead and life eternal. Lord Father, thank you for saving our lives, for calling us forth from the grave, that we may be witnesses <clears throat> to those who do not know you and refuse to know you. In Jesus' name we pray.